Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, an award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm senior writer Joanna Robinson, and I am joined today by chief critic Richard Lawson. Hello. And that's it for our usual team, actually. But if you're worried that it's just going to be the Richard and Joanna show, which you can get plenty of on our other podcast still watching, we are joined by a very special guest, an amazing award season prognosticator, the lovely Chris Rosen. Hello, Chris. Hi, Joanna. Hello, Richard. Hi. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I can't wait to talk. All right, so Chris, you are the editor-in-chief of TV Guide. I got your title wrong last time. What no, is that's your title? right. That's it. Editor-in-chief right. of TV Guide.com. Oh. Great website. Check it out. Um, an old friend of Mike's who's not here. He's yes. in, in California. You know, we'll, 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 we'll have you play his role today yeah. if, you're, if you're comfortable with that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Okay, cool. Yeah, before we start recording, uh, you little Goldman fans, uh, Chris is regaling us with some Mike stories, which Mike doesn't get to hear because he's not here. But instead of just talking about the lovely Mike Hogan, this whole uh, podcast, we are going to ask Chris to follow up on the promise we made last week, which is to get his take on some of these interesting theories he has about award season, which I'm calling the Chris Rosen Unified Theory of Wild Guessing. So Chris Rosen... What is your wildest guess? I just love that, the unified theory of wild guessing, because I really feel like it's really it really just kind of ties the whole thing together. My biggest wild guess is that Black Panther is going to win Best Picture. I really kind of have now convinced myself with a tinfoil hat and a bunch of twine that this is a real <laughs> thing that could happen, because I just feel like the SAG Award win was really significant, and I think Roma is going to win a lot of other awards. So my biggest theories here around Oscars in general are that everyone gets a trophy, a lot of momentum has built around that, I think, over the last few years. It used to be like, you know, a movie like Titanic is just going to win everything. They never split Best Picture and Best Director. That would never happen. Now that's kind of like almost what we're expecting often, right? Where it's like, okay, Damien Chazelle wins Best Director, but Moonlight wins Best Picture. And, you know, uh, you know, last year, obviously, they stayed connected. But I do think you've seen that more and more. Uh, you saw that with Spotlight, I think, in that year. Uh, obviously, Argo year. So it is more and more frequent. And you, you kind of like, they like to spread the wealth, the Academy. So I feel like if you look at the top nominees, there are awards where every big movie that's nominated for Best Picture can win a pretty significant award, right? So you've got the favorite 10 nominations. It's probably going to win Best Screenplay, right? Will we all agree with that? Yeah, best I Original think so. Screenplay. Mm -hmm. They're really, I don't think the Olivia Coleman train has left the station, so it'll just win Best Screenplay, but that's a great award and everybody will be really happy. Vice, I think, you know, you could argue. Best makeup is not a significant award, but I think it'll get honored there. And it's you know, the whole movie is it's the an makeup, act of makeup, right? I and mean, I mean, yeah. there's an outside shot still that Christian Bale could win Best Actor. I don't really believe that. There's an outside shot that Amy Adams could win Best Supporting Actress. I don't believe that, but they'll give it makeup. And again, that's great. We could talk about Stars Born. That's going to kind of get shut out again, but shallow and Best Song. You could go through the whole list. We could talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm sure we will later. But even that is going to win a few <laughs> things. 
Roma obviously is a heavy favorite, and it's going to win a ton of awards, right? Best, you know, foreign language film, best cinematography, you know, maybe best director. I think that's pretty much locked up, but Spike Lee might have a, a an outside shot. But, you know, it's going to get like three or four awards. Black Panther, it could win best costume design. That's like the one that I think people have been focusing on. It could win best original score, but... Foolishly, I'm still holding out hope that Nicholas Bertel will win for If Beale Street Could Talk. I think that is the best score of the year, but normally you can't always trust that best is going to win. So yeah, Black Panther could go home empty-handed, and that is a thing I don't think anybody in the Academy wants because they really like the movie. It got a Best Picture nomination. The cast was honored at, at the SAG Awards. So... You know, I think if you think about the branches in play, the actors branch obviously is the biggest one. Everybody votes for Best Picture. The actors branch is the biggest one. It has a lot of broad actor support, even though it didn't get an actor nomination for Michael B. Jordan. I could understand why he didn't get an actor nomination for Michael B. Jordan based on the list of supporting actors. Maybe he's like the sixth guy out of five. You know, producers are big, heavy, you know, branch in the Academy. There are a lot of producers probably that love the Marvel model and also like love making money. And Black Panther made a ton of money. Uh, the executives are also probably big Disney fans because they're executives and executives love hanging out with other executives. And who would not want to hang out with Disney executives? You could go through the, like the bigger branches <laughs> and... I'm now like, okay, like all these branches could vote for Black Panther. The other thing is, now that I'm completely filibustering, so feel free to interrupt me, but the other <laughs> thing is uh, the preferential ballot, I feel yeah. like, is like another big win for Black Panther. So that's like the other component of this. I'm sure you guys have talked about the preferential ballot before. I'm sure listeners of Little Gold Men don't need to know about the preferential ballot like in detail, but obviously they rank the Best Picture nominees one to five or eight or whatever it is. The nominee with the lowest amount of votes gets knocked out, and then the lowest amount of first place votes gets knocked out, and those ballots go to the second place votes. Well, in my mind, I feel like Black Panther is the consensus movie here this year because literally who does not like Black Panther? I, can't, I have a hard time finding anybody who did not like it, right? Reviews loved it. Audiences loved it. Even obviously the Academy, or some members, Stag Award voters loved it. People love that movie. It is a very well-liked movie. And I don't know if there's another well-liked movie enough on the list, right? Like if you loved Roma, you probably still liked Black Panther a lot. And if you loved Green Book somehow, you probably also still thought Black Panther was pretty cool. So I think there's a world where Black Panther gets the most number two votes and then kind of like gets enough number one votes to stay competitive. And when that last film, whether it's like Black Klansman or The Favorite Over, gets knocked out, uh, you know, the ballots that go to Black Panther will push it over the top and it wins a very close race against Roma. So that is why I'm putting my chips on Black Panther to win. Best <laughs> no, picture. I mean, I think that the that end. was laid out the very end. cogently. Yeah, yeah sure. I S love this. Sign um, me up. I, I, I do want to mention about the preferential ballot, uh, which we have talked about in years past, but something we, we like to consider when thinking about the preferential ballot is like, okay, what's the movie that's most likely to get knocked out first? Like, what's the most likely to get the fewest number one votes? And then who would that voter put as their second place choice? And I don't love how often this question tends to break on racial lines, but that is like a discussion that we've had in years past is just sort of like, maybe if you're a Black Klansman is number one, Black Panther is your number two. Certainly, probably not Green Book is your number two, but... Uh, the favorite also seems like a heavy, like one that will is likely to get knocked out in an early round in terms of most number one votes. My apologies to the favorite, which I quite loved. Uh, and that seems to be like something that would maybe go for like Roma being a second place choice or something like that. These are broad generalizations yeah. I'm making and putting people in like very, very like generic boxes. But um, I don't know. That's just something that 
I've been thinking about in terms of preferential ballot. We'll we'll get more into uh, that. I think that's that's fair. Yeah, uh, Chris, we've talked a lot about it because it's just inevitable this year. How much of an impediment is Bohemian Rhapsody in your vision of the, you know, this random yeah. guessing unified theory? Well, like, I think it's very well, it's loved. I mean, people love yeah. that movie, right? Like, it made a ton of money. I is think, that why they love it? Because it made a ton of money? I think or? they like it because they like it. For some reason, it, certainly I did not like that movie. I thought it was pretty bad. This is putting mm-hmm. aside all of the Brian Singer allegations and just the, the very ugly, you know, world around Brian Singer. The movie is not good, but people extremely enjoy it. And I anecdotally, I think actually young like teens really like it. And I think that, you know, just the reason I'm thinking this is like I listened to a podcast, another podcast uh, with Bill Simmons and he his daughter really liked it and his son liked it. Right. They're like teenagers. Elsie Fisher got dragged on the Golden Globes night for being like or was it was it Golden Globes or what was it where she got. It basically it was like Golden Globes, Twitter yeah. dragged for being like, I'm so excited for Bohemian Rhapsody. And everybody's like, uh, it's really problematic and bad. And you should say that. But a kid wouldn't that. know that. But a kid wouldn't know that. The the woman who Steven Spielberg cast in West well, Side Story, I went on a YouTube deep dive of her performances because they're just wonderful. And I can't wait for that movie. And she seems like she's going to be a big star. And a lot of her like YouTube covers were Queen songs because she loved Bohemian Rhapsody. So anecdotally, I feel like young people like Bohemian Rhapsody. If you're an Oscar voter... You know, and you have a teen, I think you maybe are like probably watched that movie like six or seven times. So I feel like they actually do like it or enjoy it enough or maybe are able to see it through the eyes of younger audiences. Obviously, general audiences loved it. So I think they actually do like it. And I think they're in in a twisted way. You could argue that actually awarding the movie is a protest against Brian Singer. Because he got fired? Because or? he got fired. So if you're a, a person who is going to vote for Rami Malek for Best Actor, who I think is actually going to win Best Actor because Bradley Cooper's not going to win, obviously, as much as we all like that to happen, he's not going to win. And Christian Bale's campaign has seemingly not really done much since the Golden Globes. He had that nice speech and then just disappeared, right? Like he hasn't really been top of mind. So if you look at Rami Malek, he's at every single thing. He was at like Santa Barbara uh, Film, inter- whatever the hell they call that, International yeah. something or Santa Barbara Film Festival. always yeah. a sure. precursor. Yeah. So it's like he's yeah. making the rounds. He's doing like the work, basically. He's probably pulling the Gary Oldman where he shaked everybody's hand who's going to vote. Um, I think you could argue that voting for him is like a vote against Brian Singer because he was the one who stood up to Brian Singer on the set. I'm kind of rolling my eyes a little here and, you know, got into a fight with Brian Singer and he eventually was a big reason probably why Brian Singer got fired. You could argue that if it wins best editing, which everybody dunked on the editing on Twitter because it's so embarrassing in that one clip that went viral. I actually think it might win best editing. It won at the ACE awards or, you know, for best editing of a, you know, musical or whatever. I forget how they delineate their categories, maybe drama and comedy, That's I guess, because the, the favorite for editors, the right? editors guild yeah. awarded it. Again, I think you could argue that whatever good or bad came from Bohemian Rhapsody was really put together by the editor after Brian Singer was fired. So I think there are yeah. worlds <laughs> okay. where you could be like, oh, we're going to like give an F you to Brian Singer by voting for these things for Bohemian Rhapsody, even though Brian Singer obviously is the author of the film and kind of profits from that movie winning, right. basically. You're voting for the cleanup crew. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought this up. We're going <laughs> to dig into like a couple of these things individually. Through it all, we should note that what's that... Uh, damning statistics that Brian Singer stands to make $40 million from Bohemian Rhapsody. So however much like dirt you think people might be kicking on him, there's like a massive process. And you know he's going to take a victory lap on social media like he did last time. Anyway, Scott Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter had a like in-conversation event with Rami Malek at the Santa Barbara 
film festival where he he gave Rami in a, a like an opportunity. I'm going to call it to make a well-crafted statement on the Brian Singer allegations, which, you know, we had, we have already discussed on this podcast. We were frustrated that Rami didn't even like acknowledge what was happening in his SAG award speech or any of his other speeches. So uh, Rami says, my heart goes out to anyone who has to live through anything like this, like what I've heard and what is out there. It's awful. It's remarkable that this happens. I can appreciate so much what they've been through and how difficult this must be for them in light of the hashtag me too era that this somehow seems to exist after that is a horrible thing. I've sat here and talked about how everyone deserves a voice and anyone who wants to talk about what happened with Brian deserves to have their voice heard. In my situation with Brian, it was not pleasant, not at all. And that's about all I can say on this point. And the last thing he says is, for anyone who's seeking solace in any of this, Brian Singer was fired. Brian Singer was fired. I don't think that was anything anyone saw coming, but I think that had to happen and it did. Um... So I have a lot of feelings about this uh, statement that I tried to start to talk about on Twitter that I was like, you know what? Twitter's not the place for me to articulate this. Guess what? I have an award season podcast. I can talk about this on. But first, I'm curious to hear what you think of Rami's statement here. I mean, I guess it's good that he said something. I think, Chris, you kind of alluded to the fact that he's really playing the game this year. He's Eddie Redmayne in Theory of Everything year. He's at every event. He's, you know, charming people. And this was going to have to be a, necess- a part of it. Like, you you, you cannot... I mean, the Atlantic article that dropped about Brian Singer was not the kind of seismic Ronan Farrow, you know, bomb drop that, that um, uh, it could have been for, I think, a variety of reasons, largely stemming from um, homophobia, but... It was he needed to address it. I think it was a fair kind of thorough assessment of the of the issue while also kind of completely, you know, I don't believe that any actor of his age didn't know about this stuff beforehand. I mean, it's been I, I, I don't I, I'm like three steps removed from Hollywood and I knew about this. So, you know, whether or not you want to kind of like get into that, those semantics, you know, it's fine. You know, most germanely to our purpose on this podcast is I think it was enough. Do you agree, Chris? I would agree. I think it is enough. I mean, I think he had a long time to figure out what that statement was. I'm sure it went through a lot of different drafts. And I think he on his notes app. (laughs) Yeah, certainly on his notes app with probably a team of people around him. Um, It seemed like he, you know, addressed the allegations and kind of like paid, you know, uh, you know, the sympathy and really showed empathy maybe to the victims. And then also painted himself as kind of like a hero who was also in a tough spot because his boss was basically a dick to him and he had a fight with him. And I think you know, he, it was a very well-crafted statement. I think based on just, again, the fact that he's won at every award show we've seen so far, the speeches have been fine, if not memorable, but not enough to like sink any candidacy that he might have, you know, at the awards luncheon yesterday, it seemed like he was getting a nice ovation, you know, based on like just what people are tweeting about from there. People like him enough and they like that movie enough to want to reward the movie i mean i don't think it has any shot of winning best picture but i think they'll say like rami malik what a great job i mean you know it is what it is and there are no other who else is going to beat him at this point like that's the other thing unless he like i don't even know how he could lose at this point because i'm just like there are no other actors in that category who seem like they have a legitimate shot christian bale it's fine maybe if vice became like a huge box office hit which it didn't Uh, It was not the big short. It was not the big short. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of momentum there at all. It feels like one of those, like, movies that get, like, eight or nine nominations and don't win anything. I mean, like a Gangs of New York or something like that, where you're just like, oh, yeah, that was a good movie that year, but we gave it a lot of nominations, but it's not going to win. Bradley Cooper just, again, you know, I think I saw Mark Harris tweeting about this. It's like, 
he's basically just two hand. They don't want to give him an award, right? It's like he's got <laughs> enough, right? We don't need to give Bradley Cooper something else. He's Bradley Cooper, right? It's like, and you've seen that a lot with young, with handsome actors in the past, from like a Robert Redford or a Paul Newman. They takes them a long time to win. So like Bradley Cooper, they're like, screw you, Bradley Cooper. You're Bradley Cooper. You don't need an Oscar. I, I think I think Bradley Cooper. I think that that if I recall correctly, that Mark Harris tweet was in response to uh, Bo Burnham winning Best New Director at the DGAs, and it's like sort of what does Bradley Cooper have to do? I mean, I I don't I don't begrudge Bo that win because as anyone who's listening to this podcast knows, I'm Team Bo. But like the uh, like what does Bradley Cooper have to do to win? Yes, you're right, Joanna. Um, that is exactly this, what it was. This award season, and like I. I agree with what you're saying about him being too handsome, but also we keep bringing up, and I love that this has become the gold standard because you're not the first person to mention the Eddie Redmayne approach to Oscar <laughs> campaigning. Um, I always think about him dancing on uh, the Graham Norton show as like my ultimate, like this dude wants an Oscar. Um, is Bradley Cooper wasn't playing the game. He decided not to play the game until mm-hmm. too late in the game. You know what I mean? And that's something we noticed from the start. It's just sort of uh, A Star is Born had all this momentum. And then Bradley Cooper's like, okay, cool. I can just like, I did this piece of art. I can just show up and tell the same like one guarded story in interviews now, right? And like, everyone's like, nope, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta do what Rami's doing, which is talking about meeting Paul McCartney or whatever it is on The Tonight Show. Um, <laughs> As for Rami's statement, I will just say like a couple things. I think you're right. You're both right. That's probably enough. It's an it's enough for his purposes. Does it make me feel satisfied that Rami Malek has really reckoned with this in any way? No, but I guess that's probably off the point. And I will just say quickly from my specific point of view, his statement about like the fact that this could happen after the Me Too movement is astonishing. And I'm like, that really sat with me the wrong way, just because it's like, the me- <laughs> it's not done, guys. First of all, all these Brian Singer allegations, or most of them predate the Me Too movement. Secondly, it's not done just because Wait, the, a hashtag was Joanna, trending. did you not get the email about all of those problems being solved? Oh, yeah, no. They, no. Annou- they announced it. They issued a press release. Can Hollywood. you for- yeah, forward that to me? I will. Yeah, yeah, after after we stop recording. Yeah, yeah no, because Me Too, uh, we took a year. You know, oh, okay. it was only, yeah. it was like, it was a hundred years of problems uh, in, yeah. in Hollywood. And then we fixed it in one, oh, which is great. Wow. Yes. I'm, not, I'm so oh, genuinely yeah. impressed by Hollywood. Thanks, Jack Dorsey. Um, <laughs> anyway, I, and, and the last thing I'll say is that if Mike Hogan is using this podcast to pitch himself as some sort of award season consultant, uh, he couldn't have done a better job because last week he was like, you know, and from a certain light, Rami could kind of like, you know, take credit for getting Brian Singer fired. And then like literally Rami Malik walks on the <laughs> stage is like, take solace. I got Brian Singer fired. And I'm like, okay, bud. Uh, so anyway, listen to Mike Hogan if you want to win an Oscar is my recommendation. And then the editing award, which Chris also talked about the... The ACE editing award that went to Bohemian Rhapsody after Bohemian Rhapsody was dragged on Twitter, as you mentioned, for this one scene involving the band members and Aiden Gillen of, of uh, Game of Thrones fame <laughs> with a lot of rapid cuts back and forth. It I also really, really heavily involved a chair. Yes, yes. the chair w- was the true star There's of that There's an show. establishing um, shot just for a chair. <laughs> well, it's to like watch the weird way Aiden Gillen, he sort of Rikers that chair. It's really interesting. Anyway, um... 
that clip was like circulated as an example of how bad quote unquote the editing is in Bohemian Rhapsody. And then I saw a really interesting follow-up thread about I mean, this is after I assume all the award the voting was done for the editing awards at the ACE awards, but um the I saw an interesting thread follow up that was like, okay, but this is what the editor had to work with, given exactly what Chris was saying. It's like the editor had to work with two conflicting things. One is that like Brian Singer shot this and was fired like one week left of production. And so like without uh, the original director who covered the various angles there to explain why the various angles were covered, you know, and then two, we've talked about this at length in terms of Bohemian Rhapsody, the self-interest of the band members who were producers on this film and how if you look at that scene again it's really just a conversation between Rami Malek's character and Aidan Gillen's character but you keep cutting to the other band members in a way that um, you know this person on Twitter theorized serves the vanity of the producers that you know we've talked throughout about how Bohemian Rhapsody serves the vanity of the other uh, band members of Queen so you know maybe yes it's an editing award for like good job trying to juggle all of those conflicting things and making a million bajillion dollars on your movie sort of award, I suppose. Yeah. That category is such a mess because Roma wasn't nominated, right? And we all assume Roma is the best picture favorite for sure. Uh, Black Panther, I don't think was nominated in the editing category. Neither was Star is Born. So it's like Bohemian Rhapsody, Green Book, what else is even in Sherlock, that category? Sherlock Gnomes. Sherlock Gnomes, right? And Vice, I think, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you could, like, Vice certainly would win for most editing, and that sometimes is how they award that, you know, that trophy. Yeah. It's like, oh, there was a lot of editing in that, because most yeah. people aren't, I like, sure did look at a lot of different things. So, that. it's like, that could yeah. win, but yeah. again, I think Bohemian Rhapsody has a big support behind it. So, I mean, I still have a hard time believing it will ever win Best Picture, but I do think it could win Best Editing. And, and it has that concert-like stuff, like, yeah. that, you know, people like a... People love concerts. Yeah, it could yeah. actually win, like, maybe, like, three or four awards, right? Because if it wins Best Actor, Best Editing, and maybe one or two of the sound awards, mm-hmm. I think it's up for at least one. Normally, oh, I, I was going to pick, like, you know, Star is Born, and I forget which one, Sound Mixing. One is, one is like, kind of good for sound effects and, like, war movies and stuff, and the other one is good for, uh, you know, like, musical performances. That would be Sound Mixing. Sound Mixing is, mixing is, is music, mixing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody could easily win there even though it's yeah. like not yeah. that good <laughs> well also because for the technical re- you know thing they, there's been a lot of kind of pr since that movie was announced almost that like it's rami singing with freddie mercury kind of placed over it and so that's a technical feat i don't really know if i, believe I don't that. believe that either yeah. and i think that's yeah. another <laughs> thing that rami has really going for it and nobody has really interrogated because we've been obviously there's so many other very problematic things about the movie but i'm like are they really trying to say that he's singing in this movie i guess they are but i'm like i know bradley cooper was singing i, I could hear bradley sure. cooper singing yeah that's, yeah. I'm just very mad that Bradley Cooper is not going to win Best Actor. I'm sorry. I no, just think I, he was Chris, he I, is a wonderful actor in that movie. Whatever, he didn't play the game, and I understand like he's a pill sometimes in interviews. But, man, he is great in that movie. He played the director game. He was he was kind of yeah. campaigning for director. Yeah, he and was. Then, and yeah. switched to a actor. film by Bradley Cooper. That was how it opened up the yeah, trailer. he took the film by. You know, that, that's the thing. That's the, 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 some directors okay. do not do a film by. <laughs> they, 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 take, they take directed, directed by, by, not a film by. Yeah. Um, okay, so speaking of Bradley Cooper singing, we want to mention, uh, you know, a few updates to the Oscar telecast. Uh, if you've been following this podcast, you know that ABC and the Academy have sort of been at loggerheads trying to figure out how to winnow the long 
Oscar telecast down to, I think it's two hours is what they're shooting for, which is bananas. And it's so ABC can premiere a show after the Oscars, do like a sort of Super Bowl lead into a show on ABC. It's part of it. Uh, and so a lot of things have been happening in terms of that. We've been hearing a lot of what's going to be cut, what's not going to be cut. We don't have the final word on like, say, which categories are going to be announced during the show. And we'll have more information on that up on VanityFair.com later this week, et cetera, et cetera. But what we do know is that after announcing that they were going to cut all but two of the Oscar-nominated songs, they now announce that they're all back in, possibly due to some pressure from Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, I guess. Or Twitter. Uh, the- Thank you again, Jack Dorsey. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga will duet on Shallow. Jennifer Hudson will perform I'll Fight from RBG. Uh, David Rawlings and Jillian Welch will uh, sing When a Cowboy Trades a Spur for Wings from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And I guess there's no, like, Kendrick Lamar is not uh, confirmed as, as, of, uh, as of right now. And then Emily Blunt will not be singing the nominated song, The Place Where the Last Things Go from Mary Poppins Returns. And so people are wondering who might take her place. Like, as much as Lin-Manuel Miranda was also on the Jack Dorsey machine uh, advocating for these songs to come back in, I don't see even Lin trying to pull off this like winsome nanny song. No, so, Lin, Lin's singing voice is not maybe his strength. As, it's as, it's not. Like, <laughs> I love Lin-Manuel Miranda. I think he is a phenomenal performer. He just can't sing, act, or dance. <laughs> No, but he's, he's singing. Maybe not. I would not think of him for a place where the lost things go. Let's but just put it that way. But he can tweet. He can tweet, guys. No, and he can write a great musical. So, like, but, uh, but yeah, Gold Derby has like a fun little list of like options who could take her place. Angel Lansbury, don't think so. Love her. Uh, Emma Thompson, maybe because she played Mary Poppins. Oh, uh, that's Peel cute. Drivers. Uh, Meryl Streep, Amy Adams. Amy Adams is like f you. I'm not doing anything for the Academy. Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande, Zendaya, Zendaya, and Beyonce. Um, Beyonce singing where the lost things go is something that would just, uh, you know, that's the uh, that's the side of the apocalypse, I think. But um, do you guys have any? Yeah, I think you're missing one. Per- that list is missing one very obvious person that they could pay billions of dollars to is Julie Andrews. Just bring yeah. her up there. I mean, I know she didn't want to be in the movie because she didn't want to, air quotes, uh, steal Emily's thunder, I guess, at the end, even though Angela Lansbury's role was clearly written with Julie Andrews in mind. Let her sing it. I mean, why not? Well, I mean, I don't know what her, what's the situation with her, no, her like, yeah. vocal notes yeah, and all that. True. Yeah, Nodules. Maybe she, maybe yeah. she can't. But, uh, I don't think she does sing. Yeah, yeah. I have to, I have to say, I think bringing... I think that whole best original song category is maybe in need of an overhaul, let's say, to put it politely. But I think not having the people who sang the songs in the movie perform the songs is not a great idea. Like, let Tim Blake Nelson sing that Cowboys trade Spurs for Wings. Everyone loves Tim Blake Nelson. He's I worked with there. He will have worked with everyone in that room. Like, he's been in yeah. everything. Like I, that, that, and, and I think that this continued idiocy, I have to think it's coming from ABC, about what's going to get the people you know people who don't care about the oscars to care about the oscars and it's like nothing <laughs> that's really like, it that's the answer is nothing. nothing like just cater to the people who are already going to watch it maybe you'll catch a few people here and there but this idea about the actors not going to present to the the, the, or the past winners not and it's like why because you think that if someone hears that Harrison Ford is giving out best actress they're going to be like oh got to like set the DVR honey like let's watch that like no it's not so i don't know hope I, I think that the re-inclusion of the songs is hopefully an example of pushback 
being registered by the people kind of making these bad decisions. I don't think the people making decisions are fans of the Oscars themselves, which is probably the root of the problem. It doesn't seem that way. Nicole Sperling has a great uh, piece on like the, the problem with the Oscars that's in our special awards season issue that I guess you commoners can't read. I don't know. But anyway, Nicole did some great reporting. And one of the things uh, that's in there is the fact that renegotiating certain contracts, ABC got more say over what would happen at the telecast than they have in years past. And so like that's part of what's going on is that ABC has the ability to exert more control over and there's like a change of leadership at the academy and then there's also like the academy grappling with like this muse this sort of disastrous museum project that's long delayed and over budget and all this sort of stuff so there's just like a lot going on the, the yeah they're grasping for something that richard has pointed out a number of times that they should just follow the the you know the example of the tonys and and pitch to the <laughs> audience that will stick with them the tonys the are pure <laughs> fan service i mean yeah, they really yeah. are and i i know that the oscars cast a wider net both nationally and internationally but like come on man like like at this point like i mean the super bowl has has never bothered to sort of try i mean i guess with the halftime show they try to include other people but like if you talk to someone who's going to watch the Oscars they were probably going to watch it last year and the year before and the year before i don't think there are a lot of like sudden converts I think point. the Tonys are a great example. I, I think the Tonys have been way more memorable, good and bad, over the last, like, five years than any of the Oscar ceremonies, right? Like, it's just, like, I can't – the Oscars have – they should just follow the Tonys model. I don't understand what they're trying to do. I think – I actually don't dislike the idea of moving some of the awards. I know this is a controversial uh, opinion here probably on Little Gold Men, but I would say, like – I think there is room to move stuff around, but I think you can't just, like, throw it in a commercial break. You have to, like, do it more, like, you know, the Emmy Awards have the Creative Arts Emmys, which have become, like, a thing in the last few years where they do, like, an actual pre-Emmy ceremony because there's, like, 90 Emmys categories, and they do, like, 60 of them in the Creative Arts Emmys or whatever it is, and they'll have, like, actual acceptance speeches and stuff, and, like, RuPaul will win for Best Reality Competition or, you know, whatever 30 Rock guest star was going to win for whatever guest star award. Why not... Exp add more Oscar categories, have an extra show that they can either stream or not even air on ABC, and then have the actual show be slightly shorter, maybe a little more like the SAG Awards, which I think really flowed really well this year, especially with like Megan Mullally. I just think there's like a way to reconceive this with an eye towards the television product of the show and then also making Oscar fans happier. I would be into adding more categories, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't want to like ignore categories or be like, hey, stay tuned for this Purina ad. And now Alfonso Cuaron, get up there and accept best uh, cinematography. And then we'll just tell you he won because, you know, Nicole tweeted from the room, basically, right? right? It's just like, how are you going to not, like, yeah. it's just like really weird and like dumb, but you know, whatever. So I've been talking to some of the craftsmen, you know, for a piece that's going to go up on VF.com about like how they feel about what's going on with some of their categories. And I'll just give you a preview that, that, oh, I'll just say this. One thing to consider is that at the commercial breaks, let's let's not even talk about the telecast. Let's talk about the indignity of being in the room in terms of the commercial breaks is when everyone gets up to go to the bathroom or the bar. And so, like, imagine if your category gets announced during that moment when everyone's, like, probably, like, either milling about, getting drinks, going to the bathroom, et cetera, et cetera. Or the attendees of the Oscars are forced to sit there and not have any breaks and just sort of march through the whole thing, like, some sort of... You know, I don't know, informal wear. I uh, 
to, to humble brag a little bit, I went to the Oscars last year. It was really oh. fun. I got to go in person. Uh-huh. I know Richard shaking his head. He's like, I can't. Chris is drinking champagne. It's ten thirty in the morning. It's pretty crazy. He's really. I'm really. It's really changed. Yeah, him. it's really, really has. I'm in a tux. Obviously, after we're formal wear now, formal yeah. wear now forever. Um, but I went last year, and I can tell you that is 100 percent true. The commercial breaks go so fast when you're in the room. It's basically like 90 seconds or two minutes. And if you want to get up and go to the bathroom, then you can't go back in once the next segment starts. So right. if you're out there, like I missed Allison Janney winning Best Supporting Actress because I was like, I really got to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And too late. I, I came back and I had to sit. And then you just mill about in the bar. The bar is very loud and very crowded. People are kind of like just not paying attention to the show at all. And then in the room, when the breaks are happening, everyone's getting up, right? So it's like you see like down and below, you know, in where the famous people were sitting. I was in the third deck maybe or whatever it was. Uh, you see like everybody that last year was going over to Timothy Chalamet and like, you know, like talking to him. Petting him Basically, for right? It was just like everyone <laughs> yeah. was like, oh, Viola Davis and Timothy Chalamet having a moment, right? They're all just like milling about talking. So if you're up there like, hey – uh, you know, we're going to give out another award. It just doesn't work. It barely works coming back from commercial breaks. I don't, I, not to review last year's show, but I don't even know if you remember, they brought out uh, I think it was like Ashley Judd, Annabelle Sciorra, and maybe Mira Servino. Yeah. It was like a very mm-hmm. powerful moment to bring all these Harvey Weinstein accusers out to have like a little, you know, say about Me Too and those terrible accusations against Harvey Weinstein or whatever. And the room was barely paying attention. It was like you had to like r- – people were rushing to get back to their seats. It was still very loud. And, you know, you could tell they were kind of like thrown off by the slightly more Golden Globesy vibe of the Oscars. So it's like it is a lot less – buttoned up than you maybe think Mm -hmm. so i think giving Mm -hmm. out awards during the commercials is like never gonna work it just doesn't seem feasible based on what's going on in the room unless they're just like going to announce it like and just be like hey this guy won no speech right good luck yeah (laughs) just just like the voice of god like like yeah I was talking, I was at Sundance last week and, and I was talking to a past Academy Award nominee, I won't say who, but, uh, and they, 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 <laughs> Richard, they <laughs> all right, okay. All right, sorry, sorry, I was talking to Paul Newman, it's ghost, uh, but no, but she, but, but she basically was like, like everyone just goes to like the smoking deck at the Dolby Theater or whatever and like, and, and I think that that's the other thing is that like, we can talk about this from the outside, which is like, you know, the way that we like to watch it at home or, or you know, our tradition, but this is also at the end of a very long haul for people in Hollywood, like physically and, and, you know, and maybe there is a certain aspect of like, well, maybe they don't want it to be long and maybe they just want to get to the party. They want to go to Vanity Fair's fabulous party, like, um, which I will be doing red carpet coverage for apparently. So stay tuned, I guess, with Mike Hogan. Um, So I don't know. I think that like this whole year has been, or this whole Oscar season has been this kind of competing narrative between how we talk about movies, uh, you know, in our writing, on Twitter, whatever, and, and, and on the kind of issues surrounding movies, be it Bohemian Rhapsody, be it Green Book. And then the industry being like either, you know, covering their ears and saying la 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 or just thinking about things in a different way. And I think you kind of mapped that out pretty like lucidly, Chris, like about why actually the problems surrounding Bohemian Rhapsody are weirdly a benefit for it because people see it as a triumph. They got it over the finishing line. And not not only did they get a movie done and printed and put in theaters, but it was a huge hit, uh, a fan hit. And so they see the accomplishment there and less in they they see more the kind of positive and less the, the negative and so I don't know I think we have to kind of retrain the way we think about things even when it comes to something as maybe trivial as like the length of the right. actual show. I think that's fair. Let's talk about just a few more things before we get back to Sundance and Richard's tete a tete with Paul Newman's ghost. Uh, we want to talk about 
Richard mentioned, you alluded to the fact, Richard, that the Academy announced or it was rumored that the long-standing tradition or longish standing tradition of the previous year's winner of the acting award presenting the next year's award, that they were getting away from that in order to get more celebrity-focused presenters. And so you're not going to have Gary Oldman or Sam Rockwell or Allison Janney presenting. You're going to have, as you said, maybe Harrison Ford, someone else, someone starrier than those people. Well, Harrison Ford plane crashed into the Dolby, I think, the other day. So he's just still kind of stuck there. So he that's just why lives I, there now, yeah, waiting yeah. for his dog food order from his Amazon Alexa ad. All right, so... That's, so. Good. That's a really good Harrison Ford. <laughs> Holy cow. So... <laughs> So that's one thing. And then another thing is that they announced the first round of like who will be presenting on February 24th. And so we've got Aquafina, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Tina Fey, Whoopi Goldberg, Brie Larson, Jennifer Lopez, Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph, Amanda Stenberg, Charlize Theron, Tessa Thompson, and Constance Wu. So is there, are there any takeaways from that like first crop in terms of what you feel like they're going for? I'll start with Chris. What do you think of that? I think it's like a pretty standard, uh, you know, list of presenters. They're clearly trying to be like, hey, did you like Crazy Rich Asians? And the cast is going to be there giving out awards, uh, even though we didn't find room to nominate it for anything, basically. So I think that's kind of like what they're thinking is. I'm curious. I guess Daniel Craig, they think, is popular because of Bond. But like, is he? And do people still care about no, James Bond? No, he's really popular for Jim Sheridan's Dreamhouse. Okay, yeah. I love yeah. that. That's good. That's yeah. good. So they'll have a renaissance for that. Maybe they'll announce like a sequel or something yeah, at yeah. the Oscars. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, those are pretty chalk presenters. I think I, not to quote my own tweets, but a lot of those are like seemingly people who would probably turn them down to host, like Amy Poehler, like Maya Rudolph, mm-hmm. like, you know, Constance Wu maybe, or Whoopi Goldberg. Even. Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. I mean, no one wanted to host this year, obviously. Uh, so they're just trying to throw a bunch of people who maybe could host into the list of presenters to maybe you know mitigate that i'll be curious to see how the show opens more so than anything do they just allow like one of these comedians to come out and do like a five minute two to five minute routine basically like megan mullally did at the sag awards and then just kind of move on from there or they just like do like a big pomp and circumstance number where everybody's involved and then kind of like just throw to the first award i don't know but i mean like that list is fine like i'm sure that we'll later hear that the cast of avengers is going to be presenting right i mean no that was a big rumor i don't know how disney will be able to get all the avengers together Uh, how will they do that is that in their contracts probably i don't know (laughs) oh it's fully it's abc it's all part of it's all synergy (laughs) no i mean i think that like amy poehler maya rudolph my guess is they're going to be paired together they're going to do a bit I can't imagine. I don't think Whoopi Goldberg just walks up to the stage and is like, hey, here are the nominees for Best Sound Mixing. Like, I think that there's probably something more involved there. Joe Reed, an, another friend of the podcast, is really good at predicting which presenters are going to present what Ooh, category, yeah, what come up with? which is like a really crazily granular <laughs> That's really good. prediction game. I don't know what he did oh. this year, but like, I'm terrible at that. So we'd have to maybe consult Joe on that. But um but yeah, I, I think that like they're gonna pad out the lack of a host with with with, Famous with stuff, you know. And I think it's the kind of thing where like I, I'm sort of of two minds about like you know when Kristen Wiig and and Steve Carell did that funny bit. Those I think sometimes detract from the award that's being given out. You know, it's like oh that silly thing. Oh, and here by the way is like the best <laughs> screenplay award or whatever. But like they're kind of gonna need that this year because they don't have you know a sort of guiding you know sort of humorous tone in, in the form of a host. So. I will be curious, but yeah, I'm excited already for what what they're going to have Whoopi do. 
To circle back to a conversation we had on a previous podcast, which was this open letter that the Screen Actors Guild published to the Oscars, basically saying the Oscars <laughs> for the Academy for years has had this reign of terror over, you know, celebrities saying you can, if you present to the Golden Globes and SAG Awards, you can't present at the Oscars. Um, and we kind of scoffed at how ridiculous that was, like, oh, as if someone presenting at the Golden Globes, you know, meant we wouldn't care about them presenting at the Oscars or something like that. That being said, when you were like, oh, I'm sure they'll put Amy Poehler and Ryan Rudolph together, I was like, eh, I just saw them do that at the Globes. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know that I, I mean, I'm sure they'll be delightful they always are but yeah if I were the academy I'd be like I don't want that pairing I guess at least to be repeated like spread them out elsewhere or something like that it's funny to me that they do that uh, trying to be so lock and key with that when the obvious fix of all this is just throw the show in January I know there are a lot of logistical reasons they don't do that but like the Oscars are now the biggest award show that is like the fourth version of this show right we've seen it like you know the Golden Globes the Critics Choice Awards the SAG Awards all happen within like a three week period. And then we wait like four weeks to see the exact same thing. It's like, okay, like I get, you know, you're right. Like I've seen Maya Rudolph and Amy Poehler a lot doing award show bits. I could imagine what that's going to be like. I could imagine what they're going to have Aquafina do and Constance Wu and probably even Daniel Craig will come out and be like, Oh, they'll play the bond theme. And he'll be like, ha ha, here I am, you know, wacky <laughs> James Bond. It's just like, maybe he'll do a bit with Idris Elba, right. Or something like mm-hmm. that. Another thing we've seen recently, I think that was at the golden globes, maybe where they did like an Instagram took thing. A photo, right? It's yeah. just like all these things are done to death and the award and the movies are old. Black Panther has been out for a year (laughs) so Mm -hmm. it's like how about just all these things about the show and making the show better just move it up have it be january 2nd and that's it happy new year here are the oscars and then we could forget about the year in film before and just go to the new one it's just this exhausting and i feel like that is what they're missing here because you're right like all these bits are things we've seen and who cares but kind of like a I don't know, like kind of mother courage Brechtian thing is that this <laughs> this like whole little cottage industry has, you know, been built around this yes. kind of like <laughs> thing, this campaign. I mean, including you know, stuff that, that we benefit from. Right, this uh, so so no, it's hard yeah. to kind of be like, I, I think that like from a purely, you know, utopian approach, like, yes, of course, we should move it up. And they are moving it up next year by about two weeks, um, which will have, you know, probably detrimental effect to like Peggy Siegel's budget or like bottom line or whatever. <laughs> but like, and probably ours too. I don't know. But like, I don't know. I, I Maybe that maybe that move up two weeks will be a compromise. But um, this yeah. year, really, you feel oh. that the length of the wait, you know. So long. <laughs> I don't want to um, kneecap our own podcast, but I agree. Like I've been thinking more and more like, why doesn't the Oscars just go first? Like they should just go first. And then maybe like the other award show can get even weirder because they're like, okay, you've already got an Oscar but we're going to like give this person this, do you know? I I, like this idea that the other award shows are just precursors and all of this. I mean, it's what we talk about for months at a time, but, and I think it's interesting because it's gamesmanship, but anyway, let the Oscars go first. Okay. We're going to give Emily Blunt two SAG awards. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So to speaking of movies that feel fresh (laughs) and not a year old, Richard, just returned from Sundance. You mm-hmm. gave us a little dispatch from Park City last week, but you've seen a few more things since then. And I know you've got a piece up on ManityFair.com that people can read to get a jump on their 2020 <laughs> yeah, Oscar thoughts. Because the Oscar but... <laughs> season's not long enough. I'm just like, let's start talking about next start year. Now. So what's going to win, Richard? <laughs> oh, yeah. boy. Um, well, the movie that won the dramatic competition, the, the U.S. dramatic competition, which is, you know, the sort of like palm door of Sundance, was a movie called Clemency. 
which stars Alfie Woodard as a prison warden who has overseen, I think in the movie it's 13 executions, and she's having some real sort of psychological problems with that. It's directed by a woman named Chinonye Chukwu, and it's very small, not made for budget really at all, but it looks great, and it's well-directed, and Alfred Woodard's really good in it. And so you, you, I saw that movie, and I just felt like this kind of like, you know, bolt out of the blue, where it was like, oh, wow, like this is something that is not Sundancey at all. It's not mm-hmm. cliche. It's not Britney Runs a Marathon, which won the audience prize. Um, and yet doesn't have a distribution, similar to The Miseducation of Cameron Post, the movie that won Dramatic Competition last year, also directed by a woman, did not have distribution and when it won. Uh, and it kind of had to wait a few months. So we'll see. I, I don't know. I would love there to be an Alfred Woodard narrative, but I, I think that like that movie has a steep mountain to climb, even though it just won a big prize. Okay, so last week it was the report that you were sort of circling yeah, in on, Yeah, I right? think the report has the more sort of like likely Oscar-y things be, in, in the shape of, you know, that it's both about like contemporary politics. I think that like it's interesting in the, in the 2000s, like when the Iraq War started, there was a kind of rush of movies about it in the Valley of Allah, Stop Loss, oh, Jarhead. That was about the other, the previous Gulf War, but, you know, sort of in that vein. And people just didn't want those movies. Like, people didn't go see them. And now I think that we have some distance, like, the movies about, like, the reconciling of that, like, what we did, like, feel more urgent somehow. And the report definitely has that behind it. It also has the fact that Annette Benning is, is not only great in it, but she's playing Diane Feinstein, a a senator from California. And so, you know, you think about voting bodies and where they're mostly based and they're like, oh, that that's our lady. Like, you know, and I don't know, I think she'll be voted for. I, I feel like she's, depending on how Amazon, which bought the film, uh, handles that movie, I, I feel like of anyone at Sundance, Annette Benning is probably the, the most likely to get nominated. Playing a real person obviously has become like the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like we've seen that so many times. So it's like, especially with the men. So like for, and actually for Meryl Streep, obviously for Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Another award. So, I mean, that seems like an early, I'm going to go right now and put some money on uh, Annette Benning for best actress. And <laughs> Yeah, and, and she's good. Great. I mean, and, and I think that like, you know, she, you know, I, look, if we have the potential satisfying of a long injustice, in, in Glenn Close this year. Yeah. If we are finally yeah. going to be able to close the book on that and every gay guy on Twitter can be like, all right, like, what's the next cause celeb? Maybe it's Annette, Annette Benning. I mean, she, and, and not, Annette Benning not only has lost a bunch of times, but she's lost twice to Hillary Swank, for Christ's sake. Does so, Hillary Swank like, have anything coming next year that we need to yeah, worry about? She did, she did not. That was my any, joke. That's a great <laughs> question. Um, great. All right. So a couple of things. We already talked about the dirtbag that gets on my nerves at Sundance already, which was Pete Davidson. So mm. let's, get, let's talk about the dirtbag that gets on everyone's nerves, Shia LaBeouf. You got a lengthy little bit about Shia in your piece. What do you want to say about about Shia's Well, film. I wish we had our other critic, uh, Cam Collins, here, because he's the one who saw the movie and reviewed it. Um, but oh, okay. his, his movie, Honey Boy, which is really autobiographical, I'm told. It's about a child star and his very domineering father. And and then that child is later played as a you know, young adult by Lucas Hedges that LaBeouf wrote as part of a therapy or a rehab program. Like it was sort of, it was homework essentially to, to kind of talk about his life. And then he turned it into a full-length screenplay that now has become a film. And Shia LaBeouf plays a version of his own father. And so I feel like that meta thing combined with a Hollywood narrative, like it's probably too arty to, and too Sundancey to really actually gain traction in the awards season. I mean, we're still nominating stuff like Green Book. So like we, we, we have a long ways to go. But like, uh, but I do question whether or not Hollywood is rooting for Shia LaBeouf because, like, he was, like, 
Steven Spielberg's kid. Like he kind of like brought him in. You know, he he gave him a lot of chances. Uh, and I wonder if he's burned through all those. But um, the reception in Park City to that movie was pretty positive from both the kind of like fan side and the more industry or press side. So I'm curious about that one. Um, and then uh, the last question that I want to ask about is The Farewell. Uh, you, you mentioned this, yeah. this sort of Aquafina showpiece. What do you want to say about Yeah, that? I had not seen The Farewell when we recorded last week. I, I, mm-hmm. I missed the first screening, and so I had to do a catch-up later in the week. And I'm really glad I did. It's a really marvelous movie. I mean, it's... It's Sundancey, you know. It's a. It's. I think I mentioned that in my review. It's. It's a family dramedy. You know. It. It. It has funny parts and sad parts, and I think that's kind of common for Sundance. You know, Little Miss Sunshine or Juno or whatever. But this one feels different because it's about a particular experience. It's. It's based on um, the director Lulu Wang's own family. It's Aquafina doing a dramatic turn, which is exciting. So, I mean, I think it could be like a screenplay thing, and maybe. You know, in a perfect world, a supporting actress nod for Xu uh, Zhen Zhao, who is plays the kind of matriarch of the family who's dying but doesn't know it. But yeah, I don't know. That feels to me more like they'll release it in August, and it'll have like some decent box office and and good. You know, it'll be kind of like eighth grade. Yeah. You know, which, and it's eight twenty four who picked it up. Yeah, right? exactly. Eight twenty four by it, and like eighth grade got blanked this year at the Oscars, which I was sort of surprised by, but. Yeah, I was too because they really were pounding the uh, the pavement. I felt like Bo Burnham and Elsie Fisher were everywhere, and they were charming while doing it. And the movie was aggressive, you but know? It and that's a complete matter. that's a complete blank for H two four, right? Because Hereditary well, no, first didn't get re- first reform got screened. Oh, first reform. Yeah, okay. that was there it. You yeah. go. So they have that at least. Um, and and mid nineties is the thing that happened. Okay, um, <laughs> <Was> <laughs> is there anything <laughs> allegedly? Is there anything else you want to mention from from Sundance, Richard? No, uh, sorry to give a little just diary no. about the festival. Um, no, I, that was that was those were kind of the big things. I think that. Um, you know, a lot of what we just talked about in terms of the Oscars and all that w- was was definitely what people were talking about on the ground at the parties. And and not that I went to parties. I was in bed by 8 p.m. every night. Um, <laughs> like, like a good boy. Um, but, you know, I, I think that the industry just in general feels in flux. And I think that, like, it was interesting that at Sundance this year that Netflix didn't buy anything. Or they, they just now bought the Zac Efron as Ted Bundy movie, but that was after the festival. Um, but, you know, they've been such a big buying presence in years past and scooping up movies and kind of throwing them into the bin of, of you know, like even past Sundance winners. So there was kind of some, I think, relief about, like, Netflix not running the show, but also a kind of nervous question about, like, what are they doing? Like, did, like are they not in the buying acquisitions thing anymore because they have all Mm. of their own originals. And then Amazon kind of rushed in to fill that spot. Fox Searchlight was present at the festival but didn't buy anything. So, I don't know. There was a lot of uncertainty about the industry, and I think that, like, our broader uncertainty about, like, the awards season this year was certainly kind of affecting that. So it was an interesting year to be at Sundance. All right. Well, um, listen, if Shia LaBeouf and Pete Davidson are both in the supporting actor category next year, um, you're, uh, you're going to quit your job and move to the desert, right? That's <laughs> yeah. it. That's yeah. the yurt life for me. <laughs> yeah. um, Hello, Slab City. <laughs> Chris, is there anything else you want to say about the, you know, sort of, uni- well, okay, here's the last thing I'll ask yeah. you before we scoot out of here, which is that you mentioned your Black Panther stop, but like you had a crazy, let's not call it crazy, wild prediction um, in the supporting actress. Yeah, oh, I, right. I love this prediction one. too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think that um, I'm, I'm going to butcher her name. So if one of you wants to save me, please. Marina, Marina de Tavera. Marina de Tavera could actually win for Roma because, again, I put a lot of stock into. Hilariously, we were just talking about moving the Oscars up front. 
I put a lot of stock into the fact that I think a lot of these awards are won in the last two months here before the Oscars because of the speeches. I don't think necessarily the movies matter as much as the presentation. So Glenn Close for The Wife won her Oscar at the Golden Globes, right? With that, right? With speech. that speech. That mm-hmm. speech was amazing. It was one of the best speeches I've heard in a few years. It was so powerful. She tried to replicate it at the SAG Awards. It didn't even matter that it wasn't as good. She won, right? I don't know if people are actually even going to watch The Wife now. They don't even need to. They're just going to say, Glenn Close, great speech. You won. It's, it's about time. Uh, yeah. You yeah. know, and Rami Malek, again, like we said, I don't think his speeches have been very noteworthy, but they haven't been like Peter Forelli winning uh, at the Golden Globes and just just tanking, I think, what was his Best Director nomination and probably Green Book's chances because his speech was really kind of not great. So using that as, like, the guide rails, what has Regina King actually won, right? She won at the New York Film Critics Circle and gave a very lovely speech. She did win at the Golden Globes, so she gave that was her one speech. She wasn't nominated at SAG. She wasn't nominated at BAFTA. So we had her Golden Globes, which was really nice. And since then, she has not been seen, basically. Now, yesterday at the Oscar nominees luncheon, uh, she was given a very, very loud ovation. That was, I think, Kyle Buchanan tweeted that from the event. So Regina King was. Regina King. Yeah, so she yeah. is well-liked, and obviously yeah. that's a big deal. But I just think broadly, like, if you're an international Oscar voter or you're just not at the Oscars luncheon, if you're just watching these shows, it's like, well, the SAG Awards, she wasn't there. And, you know, you haven't seen her since the Golden Globes, and now you're kind of going in. There wasn't a lot of support, unfortunately, for Bill Street. It didn't get a Best Picture nomination. So I'm not sure Regina King is the lock that everybody seems to think. Unfortunately, she's really wonderful in Beale Street. It's a great performance. It would be great if she won. The reason I'm picking uh, Marina de Tavera is that Roma has a ton of support. And I think normally there's a weird acting twist where you're not expecting it. The most recent one may be Mark Rylance over Sylvester Stallone. That was more probably political because people don't necessarily like Sylvester Stallone. Right. And they kind of like did like Mark, Mark Rylance. That being said, that was a surprise nomination. We were all kind of like not expecting her to get nominated. It makes sense because maybe the supporting actress category is pretty thin this year, even or at least based on the nominees. And then you look at the nominees. Okay, Amy Adams, if she was going to win, she would have won at the SAG Awards. So she's and she's also not that good in Vice. It's not a good performance. If she would win for that, I think it would have not. You know, she definitely deserves an Oscar. I like Amy Adams, but she's Vice is not it. The favorite co-stars will knock each other out, unfortunately. I think they both should win. Probably Rachel Vice over everybody on Earth, but sure. And then you're left with uh, Regina King and then Marina. Again, I just think because like, people haven't seen... Everyone's talking about Roma. There is a very high probability it win Best Picture, much to my chagrin and much to my you know, board of crazies, uh, you know, tinfoil hatting, uh, it will beat Black Panther. <laughs> I think, you know, there's a good chance that she could be an upset win. The Oscars have expanded their international ranks in recent years. She obviously had a big support among the actors branch, which was unexpected. People really liked Roma in a bunch of categories. And maybe she squeaks by Regina King for a movie that, you know, again, was kind of like underappreciated by Oscar voters this year. Well, right. If you think about the kind of like unideal in many ways Oscar voter who like hasn't actually watched everything and is going down the list and they're like oh wait I've seen Roma yeah there we go check like, right they, you know and like, like they check her name watch you know? all the best you would hope they're gonna watch the best picture nominees. right and I but guess like it, they maybe haven't seen Beale Street unfortunately right because it's not you know? a best picture nominee yeah. I mean there are times when a movie like Beale Street could produce a, a supporting actress winner we just saw that last year with like Allison Janney right she won mm. I Tanya but she won so much it felt like just an unstoppable force she was at every award award show she was doing everything and yeah. i think just regina king it would have been nice i think if she would have won at the sag awards or been nominated at the sag awards that would have been great she wasn't nominated by the bafta awards which is this weekend coming up like 
the voting's going to start and we're going to be like, oh, I think even I just now is like, oh, did she win at the Golden Globes? And I am we do this for a living in yeah. air quotes. But yeah. I'm like, you know what I mean? Like if we can't even think of it as an awards voter going to be like, you know, I like Regina King. That being said, she did have a big ovation at the Oscars luncheon. The performance is wonderful. And if she wins that, we great. But I and do she's think, won Emmys for shows that like no one watches. That's so true. like so she there does is have, like it is a very there's a very, yeah. very compelling case for Regina King to win. But I will wildly guess Marina uh, De Tavera uh, for Roma just guess. because I think like that's a possibility. And 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 no matter who wins, we win because right. I think they're, they're both, both great, great and, and they would lovely. both be sort of exciting, yes. unexpected in some senses wins uh, or, you know, or recognitions for movies that might not otherwise get recognized in, in, in acting categories at least. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So here's what I have to say for Oscar night. If both Black Panther and Marina win, Chris Rose and I will be sending you, I think probably a cake. I nice. send you a cake. I love a cake. A cake that is made to look like tinfoil will oh, be coming awesome. to you. I love it. Um, I'll put it right <laughs> on my head. <laughs> so, yeah. So those are the latest news. Some wild predictions from Chris Rosen that may or may not affect your Oscar ballot uh, voting. And that's it, I think, for this week of Little Gold Men. Chris. Where can people listening find you for more wild predictions or anything else this award season? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris J. Rosen and also read TVGuide.com. It's a great website. Mm -hmm. Well, and, now that you're running it. Yeah. And Richard Lawson. I'm at Ryla's. Laws. Um, going to pump again the, the 25 years, 25 scenes thing that Cam Collins and I did. That's uh, That looks amazing. They did a really great job with the um, the layout. I say again, I did. It was not out when last time, we, last week when we we, recorded, we did it so. on our other podcast. We did, watching. yeah. We talked um, about it. So yeah. go look at that. Go read the rest of the Hollywood issue, including um, Cam Collins's preview of the new Quentin Tarantino movie, including my essay about just like the last 25 years in film. And uh, from a personal standpoint, I'm just really, really happy with this Hollywood issue. I think it's the best in a long time and um, people should all look at it. It's a real, if you listen to this podcast, you're going to like pretty much everything in that issue. So I, do that. Yeah, I agree. It's a great issue. And like Richard's essay is a highlight for me. So please do read that. Um, my mom loved it. it. I'm mean, that's just, that's, that's the <laughs> highest endorsement I can give it. <laughs> You can find Mike Hogan at Mike underscore Hogan on Twitter. You can find Katie Rich at Katie Rich. And you might even be hearing from Katie Rich on this podcast as soon as next week. Teaser. Um, She's abandoned so. her children. <laughs> Coming back to what's, what matters. Uh, you can listen to Richard and myself talk about uh, the TV, the HBO series True Detective, as well as some other things on the Still Watching podcast. You can find me on VanityFair.com. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. I will be at the Television Critics Association winter press tour this week so it never stops sure it's academy award time but also all the tv this episode was edited and produced by brett fuchs and the award for a future biopic that will sweep oscar season goes to richard lawson thanks jack dorsey